Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. I am a religion recovery coach who helps people with life after religion. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness. Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, and this is season two, which I am very excited to be shooting the first episode with Tia Levings today. And I'm sure a lot of you listening are very familiar with her, with her incredible, entertaining and informative videos on Instagram and TikTok relating to um, fundamentalism. But a little bit about Tia is that she is a writer, creator, and content specialist. Her work explains the female narrative in patriarchal spaces, and she has a memoir that is releasing in 2024, and details are coming soon. She was married at 19 as a result of purity culture and endured abuse because of patriarchy. And she has escaped and has been sharing her story. How are you today, Tia? I am so good, and I am so glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. Of course. I'm excited to kick off your new season. That's that's (laughs) a little honor. I was like, oh, I didn't know it was the kickoff episode. That's great. Of course. Yeah, I know. I've been excited. You know, I I know you have such an incredible story and so many details and so many things. So I definitely want to jump right into that because I know we have an hour. And so... I guess starting in the beginning, tell me about your childhood and what it was like regarding religion and how that affected you. So that's a good place to start, actually. Um, Usually memoirs and stories and things, we don't always want to start with like, I was born in, you know, X, Y, Z. But truly, I had two childhoods, and oh. that is that is actually really important to my story. My first 10 years, I um, I grew up on a farm in upper Michigan and it was very wild and it was not very religious. We had, um, we went to church occasionally. Um, it was definitely part of our lives. I had Mm -hmm. some vocabulary and I had gotten quote saved at six, um, with my Sunday school teacher, Mm -hmm. you know, with the fear of hell and showing, she showed me a picture of, um, people burning in a lake of fire Mm -hmm. and that made a big impression. Really that was, that was, not that unusual in the scope mm. of an evangelical childhood. Yeah. Um, what it, what that childhood offered me was a lot of um, freedom to roam and explore. And I was um, a pretty wild wandering kid. Um, didn't like to stay in place one, you know, too much. Um, and then we moved to South Florida or North Florida. I'm sorry. Um, we moved to Jacksonville when I was 10 and mm-hmm. uh, everything was different. It was immediate culture shock. I had never seen a black person before a city Mm. before asphalt, like I hadn't lived in a city. Um, The heat was so different. We moved in the summer. So, you know, if you can imagine from upper Michigan to Mm. Jacksonville, 
Florida, it's climate shock. And so to feel belonging, my parents joined this enormous mega church. Um, at the time it had 3,500 members, which was big for that city, but it grew in the scope of my upbringing to 20,000 members. So that was mm. extreme growth over that next 10 year period. Um, and at the same time in the country, that is Reagan's pres presidency through the Gulf War. Mm. So um, politically, the world was our, our country was changing dramatically. The church was politicizing. Um, my pastor was president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So we were oh, wow. central to the SBC type um situation that we're seeing unfold now um was taking place then um mm. one of the pastors daryl gilliard who is on the sbc report um spoke at our youth conferences and traveled with us mm -hmm. um and i i'm in the same youth group that tiffany thigpen who helps run that uh -huh. um, organization that outed daryl gilliard um we were in the mm. same youth group so like the headlines that i see today in the news are still tied even though that was mm. you know 30 years ago um it was all the things that we see in deconstruction land. Um, I heavy pur purity culture, yeah. um, lots of trauma around rapture, yeah. eschatology, mm. um, abor abortion, scare stories, yeah. private academies in order to avoid um, segregated, desegregated schools. Yeah. Uh, uh, white nationalism subtle mm -hmm. in in the pews oh yes I was born there i was born in our in our like one of my very first memories of that church was that we had to have sister churches in jacksonville we were a white church and they were a black church and our pastor explained it as everybody's happier if they're with their own kind so that is like racism in your face but it's yes. that it's that gentle churchy voice this is just the way things are traditionalism that they use mm. as their excuse for racism um all of that was was my childhood that that's a high level catch you up of the setting mm. wow yeah i see i relate to so many things that you were saying <laughs> like oh my gosh like the subtle racism in your face because um the church that I grew up in, which is Gospelite Church in Walkertown, is pastored by Brother Bobby Robertson. He was more well known in IFB circles. Um, we had a bus ministry and IFB churches, especially, I think it started, it was a big deal. I think Hiles Anderson really mm -hmm. made that a big deal. And our church were kind of in competition <laughs> with his bus ministry, trying to get as many kids as possible. And we would have thousands of kids um, every week coming on buses. And, but it was interesting because then I just didn't think about it. But as I've gotten older and as I've gotten out of that space, understood different perspectives, I'm like, huh, like that was really, that was kind of racist. Like thinking back of how um, with the bus ministry, most of the bus kids that came in um, were usually Hispanic or just people of color. And then there was the kids who would come with their parents to church and it was interesting because we had a sunday school and we had b sunday school a sunday school was auto that's what it stands for it really meant the white people white kids sunday school oh my god <laughs> and the bus ministry was the kids that came on the bus b sunday school which is really all the hispanic kids and the people of color and they were all separated we were all separated um, oh my god <laughs> That's so overt. So we had a bus ministry too that um, yeah. Homer 
Ashley was our pastor and they, they bus ministry was a thing. Like I think born in the sixties mm. yeah. um, through evangelical churches as a way to bring in the poor masses and yeah. explain their differences. But mm. like you can get kids in and then you can pull their parents in and now you have a tithing base. So yes. um, it's really systematic, but I have not heard a story where it was overtly separated by race for Sunday school. Am I allowed to use profanity on your show? <laughs> yes, you can. Please. <laughs> them. That yes. is crazy. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And it was interesting because yeah, oh no God. one no one questioned it. And it was just, yeah, like it's A Sunday school and it's B Sunday school. <laughs> no like... one questioned it. No one questioned it. That's <laughs> so important. <laughs> so important. The cognitive dissonance it says it says it requires. To go to church where in heaven, where all are welcome. No, maybe they explained it as like a language barrier or, or yeah. something like that. But there's just no, there's, that is, that is horrifying. And yeah. it takes a lot to horrify me. Um, I don't usually hear new stories too often, but yeah. I've heard of that. And yeah, I'm, and also like totally makes sense because what city were you in? Um I mean, the church was in Walkertown, North Carolina. It's a very rural country okay. yeah. kind of town. Yeah. The yeah. South. The, the South. South. Yeah. And that's how you ended up at Bob Jones. So that and Bob Jones just as racist. So oh, it's terrible. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm not I'm not like shocked in a way that I don't believe it. I'm. Yeah, I know. What you I'm mean, heartbroken yeah. that yeah. that is real because mm-hmm. you're not that old, Andrew. How old are you? What what year was this? Oh, Oof. I mean, it's still going on. Oh my God. No, it's not. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh. <laughs> yeah, oh sorry. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, it was interesting because I mean, I was always scared of the bus kids growing up. And yeah, they were <laughs> because othered. they were othered. We were, it was always, and you know, for me being white, I mean, I grew up around only white people. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was homeschooled. I was so isolated. And when I was around people, it was at the church. Oh, yeah. And our church, they had their own Spanish church, too, where all the Spanish people went to. And then we had our regular church, too. And like you were saying, they explained it through the um, the language barrier. That's how they mm-hmm. um, justified it. And it was interesting, though, because the Spanish church didn't have autonomy. The white church controlled. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing if the ethnic group wants to have like for cultural preservation Mm -hmm. their own group and they are of that they're the Mm -hmm. boss of that it's the autonomy issue you've just oh my blood is boiling and like they didn't know they didn't have autonomy because when the pastor they loved passed away the the spanish church wanted to choose their own pastor and bring him in and the the white church was like no like we're not letting you do that (laughs) Oh my God. And that broke up the church. So many people left once they finally were like the, the wool was like lifted. Lifted. Well, finally, like then yeah. there's, I live in pursuit of those moments. Yeah. I believe mm. people can have the moment where the wool comes off. Um, yeah. And I believe that human connection is the way to do that. Oh, um, yes. But I'm, I'm just aghast that that, yeah. I mean, I know it happens. I still live in the South. Yeah. I know it's all around me. Mm-hmm. There are yeah. um, Hispanic Baptist churches and, you know, yeah. there's it's all around me, but um, mm-hmm. it's, it's the underbelly. Yeah. To me, stuff that hides in plain sight. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And like, to me, thinking back on it, it's like, 
it's kind of like the the fundamentalist goal of just totally just spreading their religion everywhere and i feel like or it seems like that you know well i mean a lot of white evangelicals are very scared of the diversity <laughs> um, yeah. in america yeah. of immigrants and i think you know because of these different spanish churches that are separate they've you know they exist because i think white evangelicals are like oh well well, we really need to spread our religion, but we really don't want to be around these people either. So, like, this is that, our compromise. That icky white saviorism. Um, yeah. And, and probably what predates it in the South is when um, we had the whole, like, civil rights, Jim Crow era. Oh, yeah. Also segregated church schools, workplace. Mm -hmm. There, It's yeah. okay to have them as your maid, but you don't Ooh. want to go to church with them. You know, like, yeah. there's historical pattern of this yes uh, and mm -hmm. it's also cyclical because as much mm -hmm. as the leadership is othering these groups yeah. the congregation has limited um access to like to having their fears disarmed mm. like integration yeah. impacts both both groups yes uh, deny it and mm -hmm. by othering we are yeah both groups pay mm. usually one supreme over the other but yeah I mean, I know there are the, the, the thing that gets me with um, with racism and white nationalism in mm. church is that I know that I know so many evangelical people who would be heartbroken to have those adjectives used for them. Yes. They don't see it in themselves and they don't really want to be that way. No, but they they are part of a system that has mm -hmm. denied them access to anything different. Mm. Um, and so they do need that catalyst. Yeah. moment. They're mm -hmm. willing to have ownership in their life and say, I want something different. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the journey of the soul that we all have to go through. Um, but the the system that is such in such place, I, yeah. I just I have empathy for the person who I know would do mm. better if they knew better. Yeah. Um, and mm. they're not absolved from responsibility from that path. But, yeah. um, mm -hmm. but I also see that they are mm. victims of the greater system. Yeah. That they most and definitely. We've all been there. We have all yeah. been there. Yeah, the indoctrination. Yeah, mm -hmm. we were complicit in that system yeah. too. We saw yeah. what we saw. Yeah. I mean, yeah, looking back, like there were instances growing up, especially like in my in my own home, really, it being homeschooled, of being a kid and things, my internal system going off, but not really knowing what that means or what that is, because when you're in that environment, you're just not supposed to trust your body. You're you're evil, um, and any mm -hmm. any feeling that seems to contradict what the group is teaching you is supposed to be of Satan or evil. So you're really like self annihilated. But growing up, like from my from my own parents, I was taught that interracial marriage was a sin, and I was told to not marry outside the race, and that my parents they wanted white grandchildren they don't want mixed raised grandchildren right. that's what right. my parents told me when i was much younger i was like oh my like even like hearing that bothered me so much and my parents hated that that i openly because i was usually so compliant with everything they did but there were moments like that where it was just too much something now i realize it was my conscience <laughs> um, right. telling me that that's really messed up but then i just wasn't sure and it's something i didn't agree with and I remember my own mom getting very mad at me for watching a TV show that had an interracial couple in it and I wasn't allowed yeah. to watch it. And I was like, oh my God. Same. I was not allowed. So when in my 
my family, my birth, my origin family, yeah. um, it was, it was really subtle. Um, mm. like black people were loud and, um, that they would say things like, well, he was very clean for a black person, oh. you know, like just this little mm. subtle, something is yeah. something is really, and it's disgusting, but it yeah. was, it was so pedal soft that uh-huh. it didn't feel confrontational. I wasn't allowed to watch black sitcoms. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't need to know anything about that world, you know, was mm. the explanation. And then when I married and we became really fundamentalist and then I get into the, um, into the IFB world and into the covenant reformed yeah. world. Um, we had books on the shelves. My, my um, ex-husband is from Mississippi and they revere David Duke and the clan there. Mm-hmm. And they had um, th- their view on that was that it's the mongrelization of the race. So mm. it really amped it up. And and I had that same um, I've always had a, a deep anger at that. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes down to like, Adam and Eve, really, which is really, I, I may, this may sound a little convoluted, but my childhood argument in my head was, mm-hmm. wait a second, you just told me we're all descended from the same two people. Yeah. How in the world could this possibly be any yeah. kind of um, racial impurity? There's, there, there is no purity there. It, we're the same, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I was a realist, I thought we we're taking the Bible, that literal world, little yeah. word. So it's, um, yeah. Anyway, I can, I can relate. I can relate and I'm, and I'm God, it's got to get better. Yeah, I know what you mean. And like, you know, I think I'm glad to see that with millennials and Gen Z that, you know, they're, they're walking away from churches and rapidly, rapid, like so much. And it, it, it like, it brings me joy. And like, I remember growing <laughs> so much. Um, <laughs> we can say like, that here. <laughs> yes. It, I mean, it, it, I mean, to me, like indoctrinated Christians might see me, they do see me as a heathen and as an apostate. But Mm -hmm. from my perspective of experiencing religious trauma and seeing the toxicity, I'm like, okay, people are thinking critically. They're no longer compliant and propping up these systems of oppression. And that's how I see it. And I mean, that's what these places have done for a long time. And um, it's interesting because, you know, evangelicals, that lots of millennials or Gen Z are like, oh, like you're not spiritual at all, or oh, you want nothing to do with God. And it's interesting to know that a lot of them identify as spiritual but not religious. Like they want, they want some kind of spirituality, but they don't want to have to conform to this specific um, standard that is imposed. Yeah, they're they're more of like I guess you would say we're more of like spiritual explorers. We're not spiritual dwellers wanting to stay in one place, think one way, do one thing, not think. We want to explore. I really um, like that different yeah. perspectives and places. I guess you would say. I like and, that explorer term. It's um, yeah, it, it, it imbues curiosity. Yeah, and understanding that. There probably is like, like if you spend any time in religion, the aspect of intelligent design, the aspect of a higher power, mm-hmm. um, reverence for creation, those mm-hmm. things don't leave your skin. They mm-hmm. they stay in your body. They do. Mm-hmm. And so, and you can have that without the rigid external yes. fundamentalist mm-hmm. system of this is how you have to mm-hmm. express that deep longing for the divine. Mm. Yes, most definitely. It's like, it's just, it's a way for people to try to explain, I guess, really, um, 
how they're feeling and how to live their lives because it's been interesting for me to see other people and how they perceive things differently like there are some christians that i've met online that you know they they um accept evolution they're like yeah evolution like it's fact and and they they make their faith work around it which is interesting to see because in the kind of thing that i grew up in like you know, you cannot make room for evolution whatsoever. If you do, you're exactly. a heathen. Yeah. Religion or science. And and it's yes. actually a very freeing day, the day you realize, yeah. oh, not in opposition. You can totally <laughs> believe in a divine God yeah. and science. Mm. <laughs> they actually complement and explain yes. what it is. It's, uh-huh. it's yeah. Yeah. It is interesting, most definitely. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's just interesting to hear people say like, oh, like, evolution is how god has created the world and he's still creating the world and everything i was like oh that's that's an interesting way um to look at it and i just i would that would have never crossed my mind at least growing up because i you know i wasn't really i wasn't taught about evolution at all (laughs) like it's always dangerous isn't it so dangerous it isn't just it isn't just like the origin of man and, and the yeah. evolutionary process that brought us here. Mm-hmm. It's that if we continue to better ourselves, their system falls apart. Yeah, they that's true. Be, they need to be obsessed with death, mm. obsessed with the end of the world, end of yes. mankind. We are always dying. We, everything uh-huh. is dying. That's true. Yeah. We are always in a process of rot. But you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a cycle. We are also in a process of rebirth and growth. Yes, we are. Mankind does have the option to continue to take a step forward. Mm. That is what the past millennia have shown us that we, yes, can, we can, we can, can and they don't mm. want us to advance. They want us to have yeah. Armageddon. It's, it, it doesn't work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're oh self-fulfilling gosh. prophecies of the end times. Um, yes. Can't have us believing that we can reach enlightenment or, or advance or evolve or grow or step into mm-hmm. our higher selves. All yeah. of that's very- yeah because like you said that control they won't have control over people and like um, for me like when i left right before i left i discovered carl Jung, which Mm -hmm. i love so much and he was just he read his work resonated with me because he's all about that path of personal growth of individuation Mm -hmm. and he really wanted to like he wanted to combine science and religion and not have them in opposition at all. And of course the evangelicals and the fundamentalists hated him so much. And Carl Jung even said, he's like, if I, you know, grew up in this at such time period, I would be burned to the stake as a heretic. Yes, <laughs> or... yes. It's true. And he's impacted, his work has impacted so much of psychology and how oh, we have mm. what a loss that would have been. Oh, I know. Like he, he's just reading his work. I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like he needs so much more um, attention. Even though he is really famous, but I feel like um, it's interesting though, because he never claimed to have absolute truth, which really, really made me cling to him. He never claimed to have all of the answers. He's like, these are the tools you can use to find the answers yourself, basically. Yes, that's a tell for safety. Yes. When you come out of a high control group. Yeah. Um, you don't need another guru and you don't want no. to fall into another fundamentalist framework. So no. going someplace where it's truly open and you're empowered to mm-hmm. hear yourself. Yeah. That is a mm-hmm. tell for freedom. Oh, yes, most definitely. And so as you were growing up, what what negative experiences really stood out to you then? Or were there some experiences that you didn't process then and then you had to maybe grow up and then look back on 
and process some of those experiences. Oh yeah. It's the latter. Um, I I grew up thinking I had a very idyllic, wonderful, happy childhood and I went to the right church and I had Mm. the right religion and it was a wealthy church. So they gave us a great time. I have wonderful memories of ski trips and travel and choir trips and um, great friends. And I was there seven days a week and I had no idea I was being actively traumatized and indoctrinated Mm. while I was in that system. And I did, I'm a rule follower. So I did everything right. And I married the one that God sent, Uh, you know, even though I didn't know him, but he's the one who's, he's the one who set up and showed up and said he wanted me, you know? So mm. I'm like, okay, well, I've kept myself pure and I've refined my sweetness and I waited for God's best. And now he says, so I'm going to marry him. Um, And I did. And then I rapidly had my children um, in a very small window of time. And Mm. I was mentored into fundamentalism and world life got more and more and more narrow. And there were tragedies along the way. And when I left, um, I left in a, under violent circumstances. Mm-hmm. And then there was like the trauma of that to, to unpack. Mm-hmm. And it was in therapy for that trauma that she was able to, my therapist was able to identify, I'm seeing a pattern here. I think you might have religious roots. Mm-hmm. And that moment, that session of where I had to look at everything I had lived through, And how I got to where I was at that place in 2007, um, 2008, by the time I went to therapy, um, Mm -hmm. that's where the whole house of cards fell down because I really had to go all the way back to childhood and Mm -hmm. what I had been taught in religious structures that led me to this Mm -hmm. destructive path. And it's one of the things I try, I hope to convey in my work the most today is that I followed all their rules. I Mm -hmm. followed and trusted all of their promises. It did not where they said it would, mm. it led into rot. And yeah. if you spend time looking at fundamentalist families and listen to survivors, yeah. it ends in rot more times than not. It, there's, yeah. there, there's really, I can't point to a single success story. Not a, not um, a real, not yeah, a real one. Not a real one. Ones, not a real one. The ones who think that they're like hitting utopia in their faith, uh-huh. um, just either haven't hit their dark night of the soul yet, or they, mm. They haven't found the mud or they're sheltering abuse or like there's always yeah. or the denying reality. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do not get to escape the human experience. So there no. is not a formula that helps us do that. And I do not no. think that there's a success story. Yeah. Um, for that. That's not to say I don't think you can't be a person of faith mm-hmm. after deconstruction. I think you can, but um it's not gonna look like the formulaic um mm. program for success that they sold us. Mm. Do this. Yeah. You know, and then you'll be happy. You'll mm-hmm. go to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hmm, skeptical. <laughs> uh-huh. And like looking back though, I think, you know, for me, especially this last this past year of looking back, I'm like, oh, that's really, that's really cultic. Yes. <laughs> um, to provide this formula, claim it as absolute truth in the only way. And the issue though is, is that when your formula doesn't work for you, Mm-hmm. Or seem, or you don't comply, or say that it works, at mm-hmm. least, or pretend they blame you. They do, or oh, you're at fault. That's it, yeah. exactly. It's always the followers' fault. Mm. And there's like an there's a there's a freedom for the daring who are who are willing to step into that space. So mm. a couple of times now, you've used language like heretic, apostate. Yeah. Um, we they used to call us backslidden, uh, um, yeah, heathens, heathens, all of those words. And I'm like, now I'm at a place in my life where I'm like, all right, if that's what you want to call me and I fit your definition of a heathen and an apostate and a heretic, yeah. 
guess what? I'm freer out here. Yeah. And mm-hmm. not harmed out here. Ooh. So, all right, I'll be your heretic. Yeah. Because I've neutralized the power of that insult that they were. Uh, yes. With, you know, mm. they kept us in line by yeah. making sure we knew how outside of grace we would find ourselves mm. if we dared yeah. to continue down that path mm. of questions or rebellion or, yeah. uh, or, or identifying, hey, this isn't mm-hmm. working for me. This is something yeah. wrong with you isn't working for mm. me um i i lived in fear that oh no i can't be in i can't be a heretic yeah I'm, I'm hell and then i lived through their hell and i was yeah. like Wait a second being their heretic feels pretty good yeah <laughs> <laughs> they, they <leave> the fuck <laughs> alone <laughs> yes yeah, so definitely and like i think in, in cultic groups uh, I think it's called phobia indoctrination mm. and it's when they put so much fear in you of leaving that it doesn't really matter how bad the inside group gets because the outside just seems worse to you at least is, is perceived to be so much worse and that name calling and that labeling is one of many ways that that kind of environment kept you in because a lot of cultic groups they keep you isolated and they let you know like if you leave like you know you you're the other and you know sadly you're so reliant on the group for your community your friends and even your your school too and your family is there so like Yep. If you if you get excommunicated, if you leave that, you're leaving everything. And there's so many, I mean, sadly, you know, in social groups, there are so many needs that a social group in general meets that mm-hmm. cutting, getting, being cut off from your social group is really hard emotionally and psychologically. And, um, and it was interesting because the prodigal son was the story that was used so much to keep us in the fold is that if you leave, like, you don't you mean you don't really it was like we didn't have the ability to make decisions at all right we didn't have the capacity we were we were like little children and Mm -hmm. god was our father we just weren't mature enough just listen and conform and the story was always like oh like you'll come crawling back miserable so you might as well just stay and skip that part (laughs) oh that's a powerful point you're making and also to our conversation early on about the um the othering we'd seen that modeled our whole lives we we knew Mm -hmm. we we knew what the other Mm -hmm. yeah exactly we were privy to how they were going to talk about us and how Uh, we were um handled mm -hmm. and then coupled with that I think really core human desire to be accepted and Mm. and sense of belonging to like you're going to come crawling back to me. That is such an abusive dynamic. It is. Yeah. We're conditioned to be the whooped pup. Like any sign of assertive um, autonomy or um, Mm. agency, you know, you go ahead and have your wild days. We'll be here when you're ready to come back to us. Mm. So arrogant. So disrespectful. It is. But you don't know that really until you get out. And then you're like, Oh, I need some boundaries with my family. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. Yes. I need some boundaries with this pastor. I need, I need boundaries. Yeah. And And it was sad though, because they would always use illustrations of real life stories of people who would leave and who would suffer and come crawling back. Mm -hmm. And now as I've gotten out I realize why I'm like, they don't know how to function outside the cult. <laughs> they don't right. know. Like they, people weren't taught to um, deal with their emotions or their thoughts. Mm-hmm. They were, you're so de- like really in cults, they completely empty you of yourself and they give you a new identity. That's really what they do. So that when mm-hmm. you leave that group, 
that identity is gone and you're left with this hollow shell of a human being because they just completely stole who you could be really and it's just really really devastating and i think for me, like my process of leaving was very slow because I watched people leave and mm-hmm. I observed, I'm like, okay, what is actually going on? I try to consider like, what are the different variables? Cause it's very easy to assume correlation means causation really mm-hmm. to that logical fallacy. It's like, it's easy to assume, oh, well they came crawling back. So they were right. Or, oh, what other, what other factors were really involved in this complex situation? Or is this person struggling from abuse and trauma? And that's why they went to drugs and alcohol because they're really a hurting individual and they're not actually evil. They're just human. Yeah, <laughs> They're just a oh human being hurting. Like, oh my God, like uh, the demonization of just humanity, uh, which is just so, it's so devastating and so self-annihilating and so traumatizing what's coming to mind is the um the tearful testimonies that Mm. we hear like of the people coming back and Mm. i love so much that you're you're sharing this approach that you took where you were able to see their humanity Mm. and why somebody would have been in under that kind of control yeah obviously the tearful testimony was for everybody in the congregation to be reminded that this is what will happen to you you know Mm. here's our prodigal but um i'm really appreciating right now that Mm. you looked past the surface of that Mm. and to what what why they're why they're here what's what happened Mm what happened that really Mm -hmm. had to empower you on the other side when you came out of Mm -hmm. that group um how long was that what was your um timeline oh when i when i realized that i guess what age i i was probably like 15 16 and like i'm 22 now so like it's really not many few years ago but Mm -hmm. i think it it was interesting because i think it has a lot to do with my personality type to why i was able to do that because it was natural to me um to love and care and see the humanity in everyone because like i am an infj um oh that's great love that and so like being born to the environment mm-hmm. just, right. oh, it's terrible with that kind it's of terrible. are you an enneagram what, what number are you on the enneagram i think i'm a one i think okay i'm a four all okay the people- all the feelings and so oh, okay being the human human to human connection is mm. super important it didn't yeah. work. Well. <laughs> didn't. <laughs> yeah, and like, it was just, yeah, I think, you know, part of that per- part of me that um, wanted to see the best in other people and wanted to care. I mean, yeah, yeah. there were moments when I heard my parents um, dehumanize or demonize the people. And I would be like, like, I think I remember my parents, oh my gosh, they got really, really upset with me because um, it was during dinner. My parents were totally um, talking horribly about this person they haven't met yet. Um, it was my cousin was dating someone who wasn't a believer or wasn't a part of the faith. And so they were already saying terrible things like, oh, he's not supposed to do that. I mean, I bet he can't trust her, all these different wow. things. And I just got and I got really angry. And I'm like, y'all don't even know her. <laughs> like y'all have never met her and i just i left the room and i just left the table and i went to my room because like i cannot deal yeah. with this and then they got really angry my mom started crying and <laughs> all Defense. these different things defensive right not wanting to deal with those parts of themselves so that they so i was the bad guy <laughs> right. right um and like it's, it's interesting because like i never usually stirred up emotions like that i usually just kept things to myself um i didn't openly 
outwardly question out loud about things that there were moments that like um it builds up and it gets it too much <laughs> it builds up it and you're like i can't yeah, do this my cup runneth over yes i always think of that i'm like oh boom there, there she goes she spilled like it can only contain it for so long to me it's like this shit hits the fan like yeah. it's just <laughs> Push the last button. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! And so, for you, what was your experience like with your parents as you began to question? And like, when did you really begin to question? Uh, well, I think I personality type or or just who I am, like Mm -hmm. in general. Um, I think I always did. I always had that inner. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I. You denied it, probably. I denied it. I really wanted to fit in to the box. Mm. The box would get smaller and smaller, and I would just find a way to work, make it, make it work. Mm. Um, But I, it would, it would show here and there, and I was known, like among my friends and stuff, as the outspoken one or the Mm. one who, like, say something that made the room awkward, Mm. or uh, you know, the little signs of that everywhere. Mm. Where it really became um, my personal, like dark night of the soul breaking point um my third child was mm-hmm. uh, born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome which is oh, basically wow. half a heart uh-huh. and um, she was my third baby in three years so i was um, a young mom wow. quiverful mm-hmm. um exhausted and i had mm-hmm. i had kind of hit the ceiling of following all their rules and doing everything right mm-hmm. um when she died i oh no it no. it severed me it's wow. it's severed in a lot of different ways um because i felt like i connected with the divine in a different Mm. way i feel like her life especially the response of the people around me um demonstrated that the platitudes were not they didn't Mm. they didn't really help with the real hard things in life yeah um they were only applicable to like keeping people in line They, they weren't really there for you in a the platitudes weren't served. They didn't serve you in mm. a true tragedy or in a true, you know, dark night. Um, and I couldn't go back to who I was. Like I, it changed me so dramatically. I couldn't be who I had been before, but I also was in a high control abusive marriage. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to divorce. So wow. I couldn't just walk away and leave. And I had two young children as well. Um, so I stayed for another seven years and wow. um, that second half looked different in that I was doing a lot of um, questioning and personal growth behind Mm. the scenes, thinking I could balance that if I was outwardly um, cooperative enough. And, and I thought I had it. Like I Mm. I really did think that I could walk the fence and have a foot in worlds and become Mm. what Tia is supposed to be and like not rock the boat in, in the high control religion and marriage. Um, and of course that doesn't work eventually it breaks and a lot of things broke. Um, and then when my marriage broke and I, and I was, I was first excommunicated and then my, my marriage ended. Um, then I started through therapy when I was identifying religious trauma, I started really questioning what my whole faith, that's where like the Mm, deconstruction piece, like, and I was freer then to do it, um, to, mm-hmm. to really ask the hard questions. Um, but it has taken, that was 15 years ago. It has really taken the past, I would say solid 14 mm-hmm. to get to a place where, um, I am ready to step into my autonomy. I last mm-hmm. year had a really big, um, just catharsis. Yeah. Of, like I'm here 
as Pia, mm. as an individual, a person, I am a person. Um, and that is first before any other like mm. relationship or belief system. Yeah. Um, and it, it has been freeing. And it's also mm. coming at this major pivot in my life where my children are grown. My last one's leaving this year. Um, and I finished my book, which was a, a massive work of, um, Oh, that's great. Massive work of healing. And, um, and it's going to be published and all of the, you know, success on that end is mm, coming. Yeah. Um, so which in 2023, yeah, we'll, we'll be starting probably to market it at that oh, point. So, nice. Um, it'll have a title. It doesn't have a title right now, <laughs> uh-huh. but anyway, that's the kind of the arc of my questioning. Like it definitely mm. questioning mindset is always there. But during trauma, you're numbed from curiosity. Yeah. You're not allowed to be curious. It's dangerous to ask questions and mm-hmm. it's more dangerous to vocalize them. So um, there's like a big gap of silence in my story, but mm. there's also a through line of, yeah. of individuality. I hope mm. that answered the question. Yeah, of course. You know, I yeah. love it. And so, I mean, for you, how was that? um getting out of that marriage because i'm sure the kind of environment you grew up in that was just so taboo and you knew you were othering yourself by doing that so how yeah how Um, that process we were not allowed to get divorced um growing up that you know your divorce is obviously worse than death Mm. um and and that's just how it went and so i think that was available to me. I tried, um, in 2004, I tried to get divorced, um, because he had made a request of me in, um, in his pursuit of fundamentalism, he was moving towards, um, federalist marriage, Mm. which holds the husband responsible before God for everything that happens in his household, including Mm. his wife's thoughts and deeds, his children's thoughts and deeds, and put him in the position of having, it's Doug Wilson's teaching, um, Mm. it out of Idaho. Um, his it's, it puts the father in the and the husband in the position of having to discipline every mm. member of the family. And I felt like that was as far as I could go in my little yeah. attempt to battle the fence. I could not cross that line. So I went to um, a church counselor at the church I grew up with um, and told him everything. And it was the first person I had told about all the abuse, everything that went on in my marriage, because um, mm-hmm. it had been abusive since the beginning. I didn't know to use that word, but yeah. I... I described what was happening and his response to me was um, you just need to honor your husband more. Um, So that really shut me down and I couldn't get out. So it continued for another three years. Um, Mm -hmm. And in that time we moved into a a covenant um, denomination Mm. that was a cult, a closed cult that I would be excommunicated from. Um, And through the things, through the, through the whole story, um, my ex-husband is somebody who didn't have the mental capacity and the emotional capacity for the patriarchy. Mm. That expectation was put on him just as unfairly as my, as the expectation that I would be a silent subservient wife was put on me. Mm. Um, Neither one of us were fit for those roles. So as, as much as he's a conflict character in my story, he was also unfairly um, groomed for a role that did not fit his shoulders. Mm. Um, and he had um, mental illness that wasn't treated. And of course we were married uh, in a time when you couldn't even talk about that. It wasn't no. like now where you can slap a hashtag on it and find a meme about it. It was shamed. We weren't yeah. allowed to talk about that. And in our religious tradition, 
that's spiritual warfare. You don't yeah. go to the doctor for uh, that. Demons yeah. are demons are oh like death spiritual mm. warfare. You pray for that. And he was seeing demons and he was feeling paranoid and he was um mm. very erratic. And now I know to call those things bipolar and borderline personality disorder and yeah. addictive personality and Ooh. high anxiety. I know what to call those things, but I didn't when this was happening. And yeah. he didn't either, you know, and he was doing his best which was far from enough. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I just have compassion for it. I just yeah. know now that he would have benefited from a much simpler life without all of those expectations on what manhood looked like mm. um, because everyone suffers in the high control system. Everyone mm. suffers. It's not yeah. a lot of benefit in picking a villain um, except for the people at the top who are, who are, you know, creating these systems. Mm. Um Everyone suffers in Calvinism, in covenant theology, in federalism, in dominion yeah. theology. There's no winner. Um, so I was excommunicated in 2007 in April. And then without that high external structure helping him cope, mm. that helped him get through his days was having rules. Yeah. Those systems of rules are very reassuring to people who are disorganized and chaotic within. Um, mm-hmm. He fell apart. And his fellow, his fall apart process um, looked like utter madness. And it was, it was an awful hellacious summer, um, Mm. which culminated in a, in a narrow escape from a murder suicide in the end of October. So I drove away from that marriage, um, not seeking a divorce. I was trying to survive. It wasn't, it was never a moment where I was like, oh, we're getting a divorce that really unfolded in the month mm, that followed that yeah. when I realized there's putting this back together. Um, and that was harrowing mm-hmm. and dangerous yeah. and should never have gotten that far. Mm-hmm. And it's why yeah. I speak very favorably about the right to divorce now. Yeah. And mm, very alarmed yeah. that when the IBLP puts out legislation, um, they're trying to steer these senators um, in Congress to create federal um, covenant marriage where you can't get divorced. Oh I'm gosh. very well aware of that people will die under that scenario. Oh my gosh. That's, I did not know that. Oh my yes. gosh. Well, so Oak, Brook, Oak Brook College of Law, which is the IBLP Institute of Basic Life Principles, um, Bill Gothard's legal school, law school. Oh they've got a long strategy in place. They've been working on this for a long time to get senators in place. Mark Meadows is an IBLP guy. He was head of you know, oh my God. the White House that goes all the way up, all the political action committees, mm. state governments, the, st- the strategic approach over the last 30 years to mm. put fundamentalist um, yeah. congressional leaders in place, school board leaders, governors, it's to get this legislation through so that they can run our country the way that they uh, run the well, how do these people run their homes? We know. You know what it's yeah. like to be home. Do you want your country oh my gosh, that way? No. no. But they don't <laughs> no. allow divorce in those homes. So oh, they're not going to wow. allow the American people divorce any more than they want to allow us a board of medical care or um, mm-hmm. you know, any tax relief, like school loan relief. They don't want to they don't want to allow us that, you know, because they don't believe in that in their own homes. So yeah. it's it's important to look at the way they live. And yeah. it's important to pull the lens mm-hmm. back as that strategy yeah. is in place. Yeah. Um, you got me a little bit rolling. Sorry. I no, it's <laughs> totally I love it. No. Covenant marriage think, is a hot button. Yeah, I understand. And like, yeah, I mean, that's, I think really this, I really loved as I've left to really dig into cult education um, and to connect 
that criteria with past experiences. So, for example, Robert J. Lifton, he has his criteria for thought reform. And Stephen Hassan, he has his bite model, which simplifies Lifton's um, like eight um, step thing for thought criteria or thought reform. But mm -hmm. the thing that I see is so much and there are so many different signs. So the one thing I see that is so common in cultic groups and it's one of Lifton's, um, I think, yeah, yeah, it's called, um, I think he calls it doctrine over person. Oh, that, yeah. I have a similar thing. I say ideas over people. Yes. And, and so that's what I see a lot with fundamentalism is that they, in these cultic groups, the IFB, the IBLP, all these cultic Christian groups, mm -hmm. they care so much more about, I was going to say, their interpretation of their belief system, their approach to their mm -hmm. belief system. And they care about that more than anyone else's well-being and exactly. right and rights period <laughs> exactly it's the it, the ideological purity is the priority mm. and that is you know that's a common sign in cults of when the ideology is put above the people period mm -hmm. no matter what and so you know sadly you know we're seeing the effects of these different people who've been elected in the government you know with the supreme court and all that's changed, <laughs> like Roe v. Wade, and we're seeing the consequences now yeah. in that in the news. I'm seeing so many headlines of so many people who um, need health care, but they can't get it because these laws are, you know, number one, <laughs> they were made by men. Right. <laughs> so that's an issue. And, an issue. <laughs> and number two, they don't recognize the nuance. Right. And that's the thing that's so scary to me is that because growing up, um, you know, I, I grew up in a, I'll just call it, I'll say anti, very anti-abortion mm -hmm. um, kind of family. And the kind of thinking behind these people is that um, when people would come up with things like, oh, well, what if, what if this happens to a woman or maybe her, um, I don't know, maybe her baby dies and an abortion procedure needs to happen to get it out and the thinking behind these people is like, oh, well, our God would never allow that. That would never happen. No. Okay. They <laughs> shut it down. They shut it down. If, it, if the exceptions to the rule don't exist. No. They're so, they're so binary and mm -hmm. polar and afraid to allow. Mm -hmm. it, it's interesting because historically it wasn't that way before mm -hmm. Reagan. Era. Oh, I know. Yeah. It it's crazy. No, it wasn't. Mm -mm. No, it's funny because I think segregation was the political topic that they fought for and they wanted that. But once they realized that, oh, we're people actually, they're no, we're bigots now. So we have to switch issues to something else right. to gain control. And abortion was the switch after segregation. Yes. Babies are emotional. And and if you can get people passionate about that, you've unified a voting base. Mm -hmm. That's what they did. And it was a yeah. long, and now we're living with the consequences of it. And mm -hmm. shades and the nuances are still there. Yeah, women they are, are there. Mm -hmm. women, yeah. women, are dying. women are dying from curable ectopic pregnancies. Yeah. We had, we had that solved. You just give the woman an injection and you can save her fertility and her yeah. uterus, and her life. And now- yeah. You know, there are women with on the threshold in severe pain and dying mm. and their tubes are blowing up and Ooh, they're internally wow. bleeding because because mm. of this, you know, situation. Yeah. Yeah. Strategy. Yeah. And I know we're getting to the end of our time. So for the, for the last thing, is there anything else um, you would like to say or any advice you would give to young, vulnerable women who are stuck in these patriarchal abusive situations? Oh, 
you know, I think about this a lot because, um, I do get a crossover audience. I'm not talking into an echo chamber. I'm, I'm getting, Mm -hmm. I do get, um, Christian girls and wives Mm -hmm. and mothers who, um, they have, they're doing what I did. They have a foot in both in each world and they're, they're trolling on the internet. They're looking at other ideas. They are. And, Mm -hmm. um, I just feel for them greatly. Mm. And I just encourage them to not be afraid of their questions because a God that can't handle your question isn't a God worth serving. Mm. Um, And it is okay to question and it is not a guarantee. Questions are not a guaranteed outcome that you're going to lose everything that's important to you. It's Mm -hmm. not a a light switch that you flip on and off. It's a process Mm -hmm. and allow yourself that process because Mm -hmm. that's the development of your personhood. Mm-hmm. which you deserve to have. Yeah. And um, I also say for those who believe in scripture still, it does say we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, mm-hmm. That means you are valuable as a human individual. Mm-hmm. You are not just here to be someone's tool yeah. and vessel. And um, your service is not the most important thing about you. Mm-hmm. Um, human to human connection will is the way to freedom meet yeah. people that are not like you, um, have conversations with people who are different from you, allow yourself to read, um, yes, yes. by your life and mm-hmm. just let things unfold the way that they organically will unfold and, um, trust that you will be, the world is so bright out here. It is yes. so, it's so full of love and there are people mm-hmm. who will catch you and you will find community and belonging again. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't come at the expense of your soul. Mm, mm, yes yes most definitely i love that um and i guess one more thing before we end this interview i'm really curious so what is what is your faith like um are you spiritual not religious are you still a part of a certain religion or did you are you an atheist or i'm just curious about your your personal journey a lot i get this question a lot and how i answer it um is is part of the answer mm -hmm. um i answer it that i'm spiritually private because mm, I love I, that. Yeah, I it's a fluid thing. Yes. One faith is fluid. And uh-huh. I get having a binary yeah. polar answer to that question yeah. is how I got into fundamentalism. Yes. Because when as soon as you answer it, you identify with a group. Yes. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. It is the mm-hmm. deeply personal process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. I am deeply spiritual. Yeah. Uh, and and that's a fluid water like yeah um, yeah oh i love it yeah because when people ask me because i remember leaving i felt so much pressure to find new answers from a different worldview right. so to, to have this the switch to still have that binary thinking another worldview and i was like wait like i actually don't have to have all these answers and claim it as truth. I can explore different options or be okay with not knowing or feeling or having the illusion that I'm certain. Being able this. to sit with discomfort, it is oh. it is so comforting to to like <laughs> align with a group, align with a belief system. Yeah. But if you let yourself sit with the discomfort of yeah. it's okay if I don't have all the answers. Yeah. And really, maybe we're not supposed to have all the answers. Yeah. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we would have a book of answers. We don't yeah. have a book of answers. No, we don't. <laughs> the Bible is complicated. If, they, if yes. you want to call the Bible the answer, it's full of contradictions. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's not definitely. it. Definitely. 
Yeah, I know. I, I love that this this spiritually private because these you know there are people who want to convert you to their right. religion and they want to know if you fit into a category and they're taught to argue with different people based on the category they identify with <laughs> and right. so when exactly. you don't get them that they're like oh fuck. they don't no. that's my boundary they don't get to i love that for me yeah yes Bye. love it well, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I have greatly enjoyed this conversation so much. And I'm, you know, before we end, is there any last thing you would like to say? Um, I think this conversation has been a beautiful surprise. Uh, I wish your podcast all the success. Uh, thank you. Um, it's been a joy in my day. And um, I just thank you for human to human connection. Uh, thank you. You. thank you for yes. having the courage to do what you do oh, um my favorite thing about you andrew is that you're 22 <laughs> and you have the ability to live your life mm. you are not going to be in your late 30s looking back and having this massive process to unpack yeah you know, such an advantage to speak up yeah. for your autonomy and personhood oh that's and, so sweet thank you and like um, you know i mean i'm in my journey because of people like you who have been oh. willing to, you know, you've gone through this struggle. You didn't have the internet and these different hashtag different groups, but you've had the courage and you're being a light in a different kind of way, in a much better way than Christianity and mm -hmm. helping people um, not suffer more than they really need to or should have to. So thank you. Thank you for your kind words, but also thank you for all that you've done to make a difference in people's lives. You're so welcome. I love this little light is mine. I'm glad it's mine. <laughs> I, I love that song still too. I, love it. I get I to know. reclaim it. <laughs> yes, like rephrase it, reframe it. Oh, yes, love yep. it. Oh, yeah. Yes. So thank you again for coming mm -hmm. on. And thank you so much to everyone who is listening. And I'm going to put Tia's links, her social media. If you don't follow her already, like, what are you doing? Go follow her now. <laughs> links are below. <laughs> and thank you oh yes and thank you everyone for listening and this was speaking up with andrew pledger thank you for listening to speaking up with andrew pledger your support is much appreciated please leave a review and share with friends and family and if you can please support me on patreon and the link is in my description thank you so much for listening to speaking up with andrew pledger